0: Evolutionary genetics, I guess you would call it, seems a lot more interesting. And that's how they do these ancestry tests. There's not a gene that says you're German. There's certain clusters of mutations that we know originated from these interbred subpopulations in certain areas of the world.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Year Great Podcast with your host, Unique Hammond. I created this podcast for those seeking inspiration and tools along your healing path. I definitely, working with a very fringy protocol, and in a world that is focused on supplements, I tend to be food forward. However, there is a time and place to supplement. And in my practice over the years, I have definitely used supplements as a tool. Today I am joined by Dr. Tyler Pensner. He is a PhD scientist trained in pharmacology, cancer, neuroscience, and inflammation research. He is passionate about creating personalized supplement protocols based on your genetic needs. I love this. I love this for so many reasons because he is not simply throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks and hoping it helps. He's actually looking at the various pathways, how they interact with each other, and what the most effective supplement would be for you. And it's complex. By no means is it a perfect science at this point, but I think for anybody to create a supplement protocol for you, someone like Dr. Tyler Pensner is the one, because with his background and his understanding, he is taking a highly educated approach to your well-being, I believe in optimizing our diet because that is something we do multiple times a day and we need. I am so excited to present this information to you today and this conversation that I had with Dr. Tyler Pensner. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and I hope you get as much out of it. And if you are out there and you are optimized and you are doing everything right and stuff is just not working, this is an incredible option. Dr. Tyler Pansner, thank you so much for joining me on the Your Great Podcast. I am super excited to pick your brain because, as most of my community knows, I'm ab- absolutely obsessed with genetic testing, and I'm curious to hear all about it from you. What the limitations are, and how to optimize through genetic testing our health and well being, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So, yeah, so it was. I've always been fascinated with vitamin supplements cells i was tinkering making my own pre-workout powders making my own this making my own that all throughout high school college and i did my phd in cellular and molecular pharmacology so the first half of that i studied neuropharmacology how drugs and substances affect the brain i have a huge passion for mental health and how things affect the brain specifically because that has the most immediate impact on our reality our perceived reality and Obviously, you know, liver issues can affect how you feel mentally, but the fact that you can alter that neurochemistry, you know, with supplements, drugs, or diet experiences, whatever, and literally change your reality. I mean, all that we perceive, we all have the same reality, but we perceive it through the lens of our brain chemistry. So two people could be in identical situations. One person could be calm, cool, collected, ready to, you know, go crush it. The other person could be scared, frightful, anxious. It's the brain chemistry that's the lens we're viewing that reality. So I always tell people, if you master and understand your brain chemistry, you can master your reality. And what dictates the brain chemistry, a lot of it is genetics. And then I ended up studying breast cancer, get some inflammation experience, how it interacts. Cancer crosstalks to the immune system to communicate and hijack it so breast cancer can metastasize. And... I loved all that. I love, I don't regret it a single day in my life, but kind of when 23 and me started becoming a thing, I realized, oh, wait, I can know what's wrong with my genes and see how I can help myself. I personally struggle with anxiety throughout my life and I didn't know what it was, but I felt weird a lot of the time, a weird type of brain foggish feeling. And after going down this rabbit hole for years, I realized I'm very genetically histamine intolerant. So I spent pretty much the first 25 years of my life, 26 years, constantly high histamine, constantly neuro-inflamed. I'm very sensitive to gluten, histamine, anxiety. And through understanding my genetics through 23andMe, not just what they're telling you in the nice reports, like if cilantro tastes like soap, that doesn't interest me too much. But (laughs) manually searching the mutations to find out, I break down adrenaline four times slower than a normal person. So no wonder why certain pre-workouts, you know, I'm a big weightlifter, would send me off the deep end. I wouldn't sleep that night no matter what. And it's because that's jumping up my adrenaline. I don't need more adrenaline. I need a little caffeine. So the kind of personalizing that, I was to resolve a lot of my own issues. And I decided to go all in on the personalized medicine. So I was, I left the PhD, graduated, didn't want to go and make another chemotherapy drug. Like I was literally injecting mice with cancer, giving mice cancer, knocking out genes and cells. And I love all that, but I want to educate people on how to naturally hack their genes to not only optimize their life. Now the best, most wholesome life you can have now, the reason why you feel so wholesome and energized and good, no inflammation that'll carry over into minimizing your long-term disease risk. That just made so much more sense to me. So I got a job as a clinical analyst for a personalized genomics company that did more of the clinical side of things, genetics. So personalizing cancer treatments, they'll sequence your DNA and see if you have a familial history of cancer. Maybe you got to get col- you got to get colonoscopies earlier based on a genetic risk, or they'll sequence your tumor itself and tell you you're better for this chemotherapy drug or radiation, etc. And I was there for about a year and a half, and actually last Friday was my last day there because in kind of in tandem, I started building my own holistic genetic health optimization practice. That's what I've coined it. And it's basically, why are we personalizing cancer treatments and not personalizing what we put inside of our own bodies? Every single human being has mutations that makes pathways in their cells overactive or underactive. No human on earth has a perfect genome. It just depends what combinations you have, along with what type of environment you live in. And what you really want out of life you know some people just want to not be in pain throughout the day some people also want to be you know high level you know workaholic grinding and loving it ten hours a day and it depends what you want but yeah so I've been doing that for about seven months now officially I've been doing that for friends and family you know control searching DNA files but now I use selfdecode a really cool cutting edge AI platform and just go all in and find the exact nutrients. Not just that your cells need, but I see so many people taking supplements that are making their anxiety or their issues worse because they just don't understand the pharmacology, how substances interact with cells.
1: That is incredibly. You've said so many things that I'm like, I got to go back to that.
0: Yeah, Um, we can break it down. Sure. I'd love to.
1: Well, the, I mean, people are complex, right? Like I've done 23andMe and I'm prone to type 2 diabetes and I see it in my, I saw it in my mom, I saw it in my grandma and the, you know, most variants, I had Crohn's disease, which I was able to heal naturally through diet and lifestyle interventions, but it didn't show up in my 23andMe, which I was like, is there a genetic factor for autoimmune? They say that there is, but it didn't show up anywhere in my like previous genetic testing with 23andMe. And I've done a few others and it's never shown up. And I'm like, how is it possible that I was diagnosed with Crohn's from a colonoscopy and I was really sick for a long time, but it's never shown up in my. You know, in my gene. So that's one question I have for you. Do you ever see something like that where somebody has an anomaly?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I really love the self-decode platform because they, you can actually upload 23andMe data. So the, different, the differentiator isn't the sequencing itself, but mutations happen in certain block areas on chromosomes, areas of DNA. So long story short, you can infer when certain mutations occur, other mutations on the chromosome will have to have also occurred. So I think you get around 70,000-ish mutations on the raw data from 23andMe. You put that into self-decode, that goes up to 100 million. And they take hundreds of thousands of genes into account to give you overall risk scores for things like gut inflammation or regular inflammation. And I must say, they're eerily accurate. And I actually had this past week working with two clients that have, one has Crohn's, one has ulcerative colitis. And both of them, you know, it's like, green, yellow, red, both of them are red for the gut inflammation there. And I want to touch on too, what you said about the type two diabetes to give a good example of this. People need to understand that every disease has infinite different flavors, meaning everyone has a different combination of things. Imagine a pie chart. You could have different contributors to diseases. Type two diabetes, for example, one person may have a higher genetic risk because they don't absorb the micronutrient chromium as well. Chromium is important for blood sugar regulation. Another person may have mutations in the glucose sugar transporters themselves. So the end result is worse glucose tolerance, sugar tolerance, type 2 diabetes. But the root cause of that, the genetic root cellular cause, it's a different flavor. Mm. So one per so the person that has a higher need for chromium, that's one of the reports that would most likely show up on self-decode. I would make sure to supplement them with chromium versus someone without that, they may not actually need that chromium. And that applies to everything. Depression is one that I give a lot of examples for. Some people have a very unfortunate series of mutations that affect serotonin production, but some people have dopamine issues. So you're going to a doctor. Hey doc, I'm depressed. They give you an SSRI, a Zoloft, and that raises serotonin, but your serotonin is normal. You're depressed because your dopamine is low. So you're going to be jacking up your serotonin and that's going to be pretty much all numbing side effects. So you're going to be numbed out. You may not be feeling it, but you'll be a zombie and you're not fixing the root cause of the dopamine. So yeah, I just want to give that clarity there. You know, these different flavors, Mm -hmm. everyone has different flavors. Some people with, you know, Crohn's have more histamine contributions. Other people with maybe more vitamin D and everyone's on a spectrum.
1: Interesting. So another, one of the gene variants they detected was hemochromatosis for me. And so I'm curious, you know, I have heard many people say, including yourself, that a gene load the gun lifestyle pulls the trigger. You if you don't know what you need and you're not supplementing for it, or maybe you're just supplementing all the wrong things because you're just going to the market and going, hey, this guy said this is good and I need to take that because there's a lot of that on social media health. Oh, right. Yes of like doctors saying, here's my favorite supplements. And everybody's running out and they're buying those favorite supplements, whether they need them or not, which I am curious what your thoughts around that are as well. But so if I have this genetic factor, hemochromatosis, which is an overload of iron, correct? Mm -hmm. What would cause something in my lifestyle to trigger that? I have that gene kind of sitting there untriggered because I have perfectly fine iron level what? how would something like that be expressed?
0: A lot of those mutations just mean the amount of iron you get in your... If you ate the normal amount of iron in your diet, you'd probably be in excess. So that probably means, which is actually a good thing for you, but your if your iron is normal and you have a lot of those genes for hereditary hemochromatosis, that probably means you're consuming a diet that's deficient in iron by normal standards. But for you, that's perfect because you absorb extra iron. Like if, if everyone, if we all ate the same number, let's just say the same number of molecules of iron, you were going to absorb that and take that in better than someone else. Less is going to go to waste. So iron sources another like a, a lot of supplement sources too, like she legit is one of my favorite supplements. It's changed my life and it's so cost effective. I love it, but it is a very high source of iron. So for someone that has increase iron uptake, be very wary with something like Sheila that is high in iron. And you just want to make sure you're getting those iron levels checked. And high iron is one of the, one of the main drivers of Alzheimer's disease and neurodegeneration. So as you get older, making sure to check those iron levels. You could also donate blood. They have the Alex machine, I think, where they take out the red blood cells, get all the iron out, put the plasma back in. So yeah, basically just watching the iron there and also cofactors. So like vitamin C dramatically boost iron absorption. So my wife actually has hereditary hemochromatosis and we were taking, we were trying some, like a gram or two of vitamin C every morning. We just got it just to mess around, see how we're feeling. She got blood work done and her iron, her already high iron was like crazy high through the roof. And this was many years ago before I knew everything I knew now. And then I looked up the link, the linkage. And vitamin C boosts iron absorption. You'll absorb four times the iron that you normally would if you have it with vitamin C. So we stopped doing that right away, but I actually made a reel about that a while ago about the dangers. That's a danger of vitamin C. And there's no good or bad supplements. They're inert molecules. Anyone that outright bashes, says everyone needs or everyone shouldn't have any supplement at all, nutrient at all, I think is just a straight up clown that's trying to sell you something and I'm here to say everyone, whether it's, you know, hardcore carnivore, hardcore keto, you know, hardcore multivitamin, hardcore antivitamin D, all these people are right and wrong for certain populations of individuals ultimately dictated by genetics.
1: I, I agree with you. I definitely have run a food heavy practice where I really want to focus on optimizing nutrition. And then once nutrition is optimized, then looking at where deficiencies are. I think what you're doing is really interesting. I've been very vocal about my love for genetic testing because that can actually show you maybe why even with an optimal diet, you're still deficient.
0: Yeah, well, not only that too, there's a lot of genes too that can tell you what diets may be better or worse. So that's called nutrigenomics. It's definitely a newer field, but I tend to stick to things with clients. Not so much what macros will help me lose the most body fat. That data I think is still a little bit preliminary, but I focus on what irritates the gut. Oxalates are something that people talk about a lot that are a lot of people in the carnivore community say don't eat any of these vegetables. Don't eat potatoes. Don't eat spinach. They're high in oxalates. You're going to get kidney stones. And I'm here to say there are genetic mutations that make you break down the oxalates slower. So you'll probably have kidney stones in your family. I would say about 80% of my clients that have that mutation, the report will say higher oxalate sensitivity. I asked them do kidney stones running your family. And I'd say around 80% of them say yes. And that is late stage oxalate. Toxicity from food. But if you don't have those mutations, don't fearmonger people out of having spinaches. These plants have defense chemicals, but if you're not genetically susceptible, they also have so many good phytonutrients that most of our medicine is based off of plants. There's so many good nutrients. And if you can tolerate it, I think the, the pros far, far, far outweigh the potential cons. That doesn't mean I've had people with kidney stones. That are having spinach smoothies every morning and i'm like okay that is out the window forever you know what i mean but that everyone just falls in their own unique case and it just that's why i personally like doing the genes first obviously i'm a little biased here but i think (laughs) having that roadmap there it's very finite versus a lot of functional labs and stuff you can spend all these thousands and thousands of dollars and not really your genes are there always so that data is black and white there your cells My cells, my skin cells will never make enough vitamin D, no matter how much sunlight I get. That's something I learned through being tan as hell on the beach, still feeling horrible, very deficient. In the summer, super tan, I go and look and I can't make enough vitamin D from sunlight. So you have people, a lot of people in the wellness community saying, don't take vitamin D. It's a hormone. You can make it yourself. They all mean well. They just simply don't understand that there are mutations like this that can hardwire your cells to either be an uphill battle or just outright impossible to have that proper balance, to have enough of that vitamin D signaling.
1: Yeah. And I have historically always had low vitamin D. I tend to be in the 25 category, but I have never supplemented with it because I I get sun. I'm in California, so I get sun. But I am now curious to go back and look at my genetics and see if there's... I'm, I'm Northern European. There's this part of me that goes, okay, l- let's say I'm roughly... Northern European. Three months a year, you get sunshine. Is there a possibility that I naturally have a lower vitamin D content because I require less because of my ancestry? Is that even a possibility?
0: Yes, that's a great question. And I definitely think that does make sense for a lot of genes. And this is still something that I'm trying to learn for myself as well. I'm mostly Northern European as well, but It's difficult because I've seen so many clients with autoimmune issues that have, you know, in the 40s or 50s, let alone the 20s of vitamin D. I personally like seeing people around 60 to 80-ish. And then depending on the mutations they have, you can have mutations so your cells don't sense vitamin D properly. Everyone's concerned with the blood levels of vitamin D, but that's not what's in your cells. At the end of your day, if your cells don't respond as well, throwing out numbers here, but let's say you have a blood level of 50, your cells may only be responding as if it's 35 or so. You know, I don't know the exact, the science has not shown the exact difference, but it is shown these mutations make people more at risk for infectious diseases, autoimmune diseases, all diseases that are caused definitively by low vitamin D. These vitamin D receptor mutations are shown to have a higher risk for. So like they haven't shown directly, if they show A causes B and B causes C, I'm one of those people, if we're talking about all natural over-the-counter supplements, I'll infer that A causes C, and I'll make a recommendation to someone. And that's what I love about doing all natural, all over-the-counter stuff. You can be a lot more exploratory with it because what's the worst case scenario? Someone tries it, they're anxious, maybe they don't sleep that well that night. Maybe they feel a little nauseous. Then we know it's not for them and they wasted what, $25, $30? You know, like there's really not as much risk for that. And that's why I love doing what I do because I can really get ahead of the literature where science is at now because you can be more exploratory. That's why I love seeing so many clients helping so many people. Also, because I get a lot of feedback and figure out I'm in this huge rabbit hole with the cells, what may work, what intermediate for this, this, and that combination. And then seeing that work live time when no one's used that supplement or whatever in that context is just Really, really what keeps my you know, scientific brain going because it's all just new and novel and yeah.
1: So even with the genetics, even looking at se- with somebody's genetics, you're still tinkering with what's going to work and what's not going to work for that pathway. Is that what I hear you saying?
0: So there's certain things that like, because it's always learned. I really haven't come across anyone that's doing it to this level of detail and making sure it's not a supplement that, like for example, curcumin, for example, Curcumin is a very good anti-inflammatory. Well, it's one of my first anti-inflammatory tools. I love it. But it also raises adrenaline. So can cause anxiety in people. It's also an iron chelator. So it lowers iron. So I have people come to me that are anemic, that are taking curcumin for their brain health. They were put on high-dose curcumin, especially modified 3,000% absorption, you know, pharma-grade curcumin by another health practitioner they were anemic to begin with. And then they're wondering why they can't get their iron up. And you're just chelating out everything. Oh yeah. It's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a work saying. in progress. Yeah, right. Yeah, because
1: yeah. I, I, and I heard a little bit of your story in my research of your work is that you have MTHFR.
0: <laughs> that's the first gene for every consult. That's the first one I go over. It's very important. Neither is the most important, but that's usually the one everyone's like, we start off the consult with, oh, wow, I know that. You know what I mean? Before we get into like I don't even know those genes even existed. But yeah, it seems like there's a finite number of genes, but there's a hundred million mutations on the self-decode platform. And that being said, 95% of them, we have no data about. Like we know what the mutation is. Now we basically have to sit and wait for science to figure out what it actually does. But someone like me with my background, I'm able to figure out what part of the protein that's on... And have a very highly educated guess about what that's doing to the protein, even if the science hasn't definitively shown that. And it's not just knowing what the cell needs. It's knowing the component you're adding, not just if it helps that thing, but then, you know, that ripple effect of everything else. So it's like, it's not just knowing what's, what could be good for anxiety. It's knowing every supplement you use for anxiety. What pathway does that do for anxiety and what other side effect pathways. So it's just an immense amount of stuff to try and learn over time. And like I said, I've only been doing this really hardcore now for like seven months or so. I've only been doing it full, full time for what, a week and a half now. Mm -hmm. So it's just the beginning for all this. And I can't wait until artificial intelligence can start to add like I honestly think in the next three to five years, I'm gonna have to pivot because I'm not gonna have a job anymore because you're gonna be able to program the artificial intelligence as is already does the self decode analysis with the reports that I use as a guidance. But eventually you're going to be able to program thoughts like mine. If it's XYZ mutations, then you suggest this instead of that, like eventually down the road, but just really excited to see where it goes and how far it can go. Like meaning I've worked with some clients that are on the autism spectrum or Parkinson's disease and. They're getting legitimate results, and I'm not going on the record saying I can cure any of these clinical diseases, but I'm very curious to start sharing this thought process with other functional practitioners, other medical doctors. At the end of the day, I'm just one scientist. If I can bounce ideas in a collaborative effort, the patient care would get so much better. And who knows? The people, let's just say if you have a mutation in glutathione production and you have Parkinson's, Well, glutathione is a primary driver of Parkinson's. So likely that lower glutathione is what made your cells sensitive to your environment, which ultimately caused the Parkinson's. So if you support the glutathione, A, how much can that be reversed? I'm sure it depends on the stage of it, how mild to severe. But more importantly, if you knew that 25, 30 years ago and took some supplements to supplement that glutathione, would that Parkinson's have happened in the first place? And again, someone else may have some other mutations. Their glutathione may be fine. It may be a different flavor of Parkinson's. So that's why the whole people ask, like, you just give me the best supplement for this? And I'm like, I can't because I don't know you. It, it's a blessing and a curse knowing all this stuff because I would hate to give someone the wrong. And even though I'm not directly liable, just, you know, morally, I know like you have to work with me. It depends on the genetics, it depends on the flavor of your cell biology, the flavors of your diseases or health ailments.
1: Yeah, no, I'm super intrigued. I'm pro- I'm probably going to be signing up after this. Be like, I I love say. to. I mean, if you're down, I, I'd be more <laughs>
0: than happy. You know, sometimes what I do for people is, you know, we could go over that, do the full consult, pick a couple major ones. We could maybe come back on here and chat about it, and just you know, give people an example of what you could really find out. And it's it's the point now that I do the questionnaire, see what people are struggling with, but most of the time now, I just look at the mutations and I'm like, yeah, I don't even need to know this person has really bad anxiety all the time. And you could predict just looking at that. And most of the time it matches up. And that's not to say, I never want to be that guy that A says, take my magic pills, they'll cure everything all the time. Cause that's not the case. And two, that genes are everything. Lifestyle is absolutely hugely important. That's the number one thing you could do. However, lifestyle things like, you know, glyphosate pesticide exposure or mold exposure or heavy metals or inflammatory foods, your Mm -hmm. cellular sensitivity to all of these is dictated by the genes. So I wonder how many people that get mold infections, mold toxicity, like clinical grade have these mutations. I know MTHFR is directly linked, methylation is directly linked to mold detoxification. I worked with a lot of health coaches that very successful help a lot of people, but they still suffer on and off with mold and sickness over and over again. That's why a lot of us get into this. We have to fix ourselves. And then I look and they see they have this really bad combination of methylation mutations or detox pathways. You're doing all these binders, all these saunas, all the infrared, all that stuff. You're getting rid of the mold, but your cells still aren't intrinsically able to Fight off the mold. So the second you come across one mold spore again, you're right back to where you started.
1: I mean, it's so interesting. So let's say these cells are, I mean, I have so many questions here. You hit on heavy metals um, and anxiety. So do you do a lot of work with ADHD and do you see a lot of success in that area?
0: Yes, absolutely. ADHD is one of the things that I think histamine is probably the primary driver of ADHD. Histamine itself, people think of just sneezing allergies, but histamine can accumulate in every organ of the body. Me, all of mine goes to my head. I mentioned in the beginning, brain fog, lethargy, just bleh feeling. Some people, it's the joints. High histamine linked to arthritis. Some people, it's the gut. High histamine is linked to Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, IBS. Some people, it's the skin. High histamine, the skin is linked to hives, eczema, rashes. High histamine, in the brain is directly linked to lower production of serotonin and dopamine. So people think it's only sneezing, coughing, anaphylaxis. But the number one thing I tell people is get skin prick allergy testing. The most comprehensive one you can get from a specialist. I got that done. I was severely allergic to peas and almonds. I ate them every single day. Never got a single hive. I was severely allergic to mice. I worked with mice almost every day for six years. And I found this out at the very end. I thought it was Fluorescent light bulbs in my lab. I thought it was the chemical fumes making me feel. I feel worse when I got to lab after the gym. I take, I treat my body like a temple. Why do I feel so bad? And this is what a lot of clients, the most of the clients that I work with, are doing ninety percent of the things right, and they're still not feeling good. And it's because I believe primarily due to these mutations that make you sensitive to these things. So I never got hives. Nothing that made me think it was an allergy. I got that tested. I was off the charts, big welts from the test they did. And I stopped having, it was like a frozen bag of vegetables, you know, with peas. Then I have homage for lunch. I cut that out. I had someone else handle the mice. Literally that next day, I didn't eat that or go down, check on the mice. It was the best day I had in years at lab. Like, I was actually anxious because the amount of coffee and caffeine I normally drank was overpowering because I would have to cut through the histamine. Histamine kind of makes you feel tired. Like a tip I always tell people is if you're ever just like not feeling good or like you have coffee, I see all these memes when you have coffee and it doesn't energize you, it just raises your heart rate. The coffee is actually very high in histamine. That to me, if you drink coffee, your heart rate raises, but you don't feel cognitively better. It's the histamine. That's what's fogging you down, lowering the energy. Take an ibuprofen or two. If you like feel just foggy. And I tried that one time. I hurt my knee at the gym and I tried that and I instantly got... So much more energized. I'm like, why is this coffee hitting me two hours later? You don't need a PhD to figure out if you take an anti inflammatory and you feel better, you're inflamed. The harder part is figuring out what that inflammation is coming from. But 99% of the time, I mean, it's either going to be through the gut or through an open wound. How else is that, you know, whether it's histamine from food or bacteria or fungal infection, parasites, mold, et cetera, it's the gut or through an open wound pretty much. I mean, how else is that going to get in there?
1: I have, I have a somewhere in my genetics. I have high histamine in the gut. It's yep. shown up in a few different genetic testing I've done. And it's interesting because I am really healthy. I get blood work done two to three times a year to check my B12, just to check everything. Since I do have MTHFR put my autoimmune disorder into remission. I haven't. Yeah. Congrats
0: had, on that. By the way, that's awesome.
1: Knock on wood. I haven't had a flare since I've been in remission. No gut issues, even getting COVID. Like a lot of people who have COVID, they'll have gut implications because of the amount of inflammation that it causes in the body. But I am still really fascinated by my genetics. How do I have this high histamine yet? I don't have any gut issues from eating gluten. How is that possible? Like I actually do want to work with you because I'm like, what anomaly is going on that I'm bypassing but or not? So the question I had for you is MTHFR. I have it, but I'm not presenting. Can you have the gene, but not have it active and not have issues with methylating
0: first off, everyone has the mthfr gene i guess you meant that you have some sort of mutation mutation
1: yes i have a mutation do
0: you do you know which one there's two major ones on the gene off the top of your head
1: i i off the top of my head i know it's like a c something okay
0: yeah so the c677t so yeah. so there's two areas of the gene that can be mutated and it can be mutated heterozygous once homozygous twice so you basically have one to four mutations on the MTHFR gene. Sounds like you have the more significant one. However, there's a lot more that comes into play, at least in the context of B12. That's B12 activation inside of your cells. Okay. You can also have or not have mutations in how you absorb it through the gut. I have that mutation. You can also have mutations in the transport protein that carries that from your gut cell through your blood and delivers it to your cells. I have that mutation as well. And then I also have the NTHFR. So it depends. You may have no mutations in those pathways because that's what I'm saying. They all interact and compound with each other. That's why people that are saying, you know, I I got NTHFR, I'm like, that's very important. People that are homozygous for that C677, that's roughly like, I think 20% activity. I think one of those is roughly 60 to 70%. But again, if if the gut health's good, you're absorbing the B12, not just through the genetic mutation itself, but overall gut inflammation, which seems you got in check. You're transporting it. Okay. And also honestly, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just what we know. You know what I mean? This is, we don't know so much more than we do know yet already we're able to make such improvements on our health. That's why I'm so excited for it. That's why I always tell people, I'd say 90% of the time it matches up. It makes sense. And then. You have a client that, you know, based on the report, they should be anemic, low iron, low ferritin, this and that. And we look and they're fine or vice versa. They should be iron overload and they're anemic. And that's where the whole side of infections and stuff comes into play. The H. pylori, the candida, the this, the that. And honestly, those are areas that I'm not well versed in. That's more of the traditional functional medicine, holistic that I'm trying to educate myself about. But at the same point, I want to double down on what I'm the best at and know the best. And like, at least cause I do have some clients, some clients will take the supplements, do the diet recommendations and stuff. And a month or two goes by, they feel 20, 25% better. They're not improving as much as most clients do. And sometimes it comes to that point where it's, listen, I kind of that all the tools I can use. And based on your genes, your higher chance for cadmium toxicity, your higher chance for airborne molds. So if I were you, I may be looking to get an HTMA test. I can point them in the right direction for like a non-genetic driver, but it just depends. I haven't, people always feel better, but if it's not helping as much as it should, some people are saying they're virtually cured within a week. And that just goes to show like a lot of neurotransmitter mutations or this or that. And, that can be, just mean a lot of it is genetic. Think of it like the pie chart for overall health. Some people genes may be, it may be 20% of their gut issues and 40% of their mood issues or like that. That's kind of how I view it all. So there's always a genetic contributor. It just depends. You can have, like like I said, you can have one mutation on the MTHFR gene or you can have four. And actually I've never seen someone with all four. I've seen someone, I've seen people with three and most of them have been on, you know, hardcore, antidepressive, anti-anxiety medication their entire life because it's been a very, very, very rough life for them. But those are the people if they never take in a methyl B vitamin or a pre-activated adenosil or hydroxyl b twelve some other forms of preactivated B vitamins, they take that. And within the first half hour to hour, it's literally just life-changing for them because it's primarily genetic driven versus some people that, Garbage on their phones all night. Horrible sleep schedule. Toxic relationships. Hate their job. Miserable in traffic every day. But they don't have MTHFR. They can be worse off than someone like you that has it. That's doing everything else right.
1: So, if somebody comes into your office and they're like, "I have ADHD. I'm taking Adderall. I'm I'm a mess," you immediately first look at histamine. Their histamine genetics.
0: First of all, just everyone knows I'm totally remote, so totally uh, telemedicine. No physical location. Basically, how my program works is that people ask, you know, can you just look at my depression and, you know, lower the price? And the thing is, is that allergy genes, histamine genes affect depression, methylation genes affect depression, gut health genes, leaky gut genes affect depression. So it's like I look at all these aspects of health, but one goal to me is to restore cellular balance. You have the same mutations in all of your cells. So you restore that. And then the body kind of fixes itself because the cells are now in alignment with how they should be. So I kind of my workflow, I usually start with methylation, histamine, something I always do check as well. I kind of honestly usually check a lot of the same stuff for most clients because most clients, it stems back to some sort of autoimmunity. It's just depending the immune system, whether the immune cells are in the gut or in the brain or in the joints, inflammation is the main issue that a lot of people come to me with. But I must say, it drives me nuts. I get so mad seeing these little kids being thrown on Adderall or these medications when they haven't even checked. Why are they eating histamine? There's certain mutations that can make you more sensitive to food dyes. I have that mutation. The histamine will rise higher with food dyes. That also means I break down all histamine slower. So apple cider vinegar, for example, that was messing me up for years. I thought, it was a blood sugar thing or whatever, that's extremely high in histamine. I got rid of my gut dysbiosis. I supplement perfectly for me. I still get histamine flare-ups no matter what. If I have tomatoes, if I have coffee, if I have too much pickles, because they all have high histamine, that's not because my gut's out of line. Gut dysbiosis, bad bacteria can make histamine. That is true. But at the end of the day, my cells have that double mutation. Every one of my cells breaks down histamine slower. Kind of like I break down adrenaline slow, I break down histamine slow. So what do you know? The number one report on my that code was ADHD. And looking back, it kind of makes sense that I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. And I just can't help but think. It just bothers me seeing all these young kids, children being put on these medications that are destroying their brain, destroying their brain. You can make the argument for using things like Adderall Occasionally, when you gotta get stuff done, this or that. But the dependency when you're younger, you're training your brain to need that forever. These are amphetamines. There's one molecule away from methamphetamine. And they're not even checking the diet. And you want to know it's ironic too? Adderall actually also raises histamine.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: So you can it can help raise dopamine, but again, you don't even know if dopamine's the issue. If they have mutations where they chew up dopamine very quickly. I can name 10 other supplements that will raise dopamine that I would use instead of Adderall. But at least if you match the mechanism, if you were to sequence someone and tell me they don't have enough serotonin, you want to give them an SSRI, I'd say go natural first, but I wouldn't have as much of an issue with it. If you match how the drug works with how the cells are messed up, but they're not even checking that. Can't focus Adderall, depressed SSRI, and just no care for that.
1: Well, but you also have an education that not everybody has. So you're yeah. approaching things from a very different perspective of understanding where I would imagine most psychologists don't have your background. So yeah. they're just the kid, the kid coming to them and the parents are going, the kid's not doing well in school. What are we going to do? And they're like, here, yeah, take this, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So well, that's
0: part you, of the problem too, is that part of the problem with the whole Adderall thing is that it works so freaking well that as a parent. You see your kid that was getting, you know, low B's, C's suddenly start getting B plus A minus straight A's. You know, it's not good for them, but you want them to get to a good college and be successful because you care about them. And that's a huge mental moral dilemma for a lot of parents out there. And I'm here to say that, you know, it's the same exact workflow, whether it's children or adult, obviously you adjust dosages and things, but at the end of the day, the cells are the cells from when you're, from when that egg and sperm meet fertilization to when you die, those cells have the same exact mutations the entire time that will never change. Obviously you can have different levels of gene expression that changes you age. That's why we do age. We We age not because of mutations. We get cancer because of mutations. We age because the genes start being expressed at wrong levels, but things like vitamin D help prevent that.
1: Super fascinating. So you had mentioned, and I honestly I had I didn't know that coffee was high in histamine. And if you you said you process adrenaline slowly. I mean, I would imagine that a lot of my clients experience this because part of kind of the healing matrix is I'll pull out stimulants to see what's going on. Cause a lot of times I feel like stimulants cover stuff up that's mm-hmm. happening. And a lot of them will immediately feel better probably for a myriad of reasons, right? Histamine problem. But also they're just, their adrenals aren't jacked anymore. Mm -hmm. So their body can kind of like, they don't feel anxious all the time. And would you say that gene could be pretty prevalent that people are slow at metabolizing adrenaline and just feeling anxious instead of alert?
0: There's many different genes that are associated with caffeine-induced anxiety sensitivity. That's definitely one of them. And the thing with stimulants is they deplete your body. So they make your but even coffee makes your body release more serotonin and dopamine. Like it's a mini version of Adderall, if you will. Like that's what makes you feel better from the coffee, but you're constantly taking coffee every day and you're dumping extra dopamine, more dopamine than your cells would normally release. But are you giving your body extra amino acids that make dopamine? So a lot of times people aren't supplementing that properly. You can get it through food sources as well, but... There's that side of it. And then there's also just the micronutrients. I think a lot of people have B vitamin deficiencies and getting the right type of B vitamin that aligns with their genetics. So they're, they're down in the coffee just to get the energy. I'd cut my caffeine dose probably, I'm probably down to maybe a third of the caffeine I took four or so years ago, because now I found these other supplements that support cellular energy production. And I'm fine with having less caffeine. I personally like caffeine. I have it every day. I do cycle on and off from it. I also have mutations. I metabolize caffeine slower than normal. So not only is the adrenaline release from caffeine being released, be lingering longer, the caffeine molecule itself is being released longer. And ironically, that same mutation makes me metabolize melatonin slower than normal. So on the whole sleep side of stuff, my wife takes, I think, five or six times the melatonin dose I do. Because we both have mutations in how our cells sense melatonin. So our cells aren't as receptive to it. But she is a fast metabolizer. She could take five times the dose as me and then wake up like that. She's a morning person. Me, I'm taking the lowest dose just to help me sleep. And there's still some days I overdo it, wake up a little groggier I'm also accumulating adrenaline throughout the day because I break it down slower. So I'm a night owl. I always, I've tried to be a morning person so bad. I still wake up, you know, 6.37, but I'm always hitting the snooze alarm. Meanwhile, her, she is up. She is up and at them, going and moving.
1: Is there something, I mean, that's really interesting because there are people who are morning people like me. I wake up with the sun. I go for a walk. I'm outside with the sun's coming up. That's my favorite time. I used to be able to straddle both the nighttime and the daytime, but then I realized that you couldn't burn both ends of the candle, yeah. so I chose morning overnight, but my daughter, she, her brain doesn't wake up until 10. Mm -hmm. That, would you say that somebody that's potentially a low metabolizer (laughs) of adrenaline?
0: Yeah, so it's a lot of more genes than just that. But I think another factor for that too is once I realized I have a lot of struggles with B vitamins, taking my multivitamin first thing in the morning with my smoothie, with the Shelegit as well, that helps produce dopamine, helps with energy as well, energy production. That kind of gets me going a little sooner and it's way easier on the adrenals than caffeine. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of different genes related to night owl versus morning people, but I think a lot of it comes down to trying to get that restful sleep as well. When people say melatonin doesn't work for them. Well, you probably don't have mutations in melatonin pathways. You say mm-hmm. CBD doesn't work for you. You probably don't have mutations there because there's not just, like I said, there's not just one sleep pathway. There's a lot of different ones. There's not just one focus pathway there's a lot of them. There's not just one anti-inflammatory pathway. So that's why knowing which specific genes where you need support for, like, do you need glutathione injections or do you just need more selenium and glycine? Like you may not need to go for those huge, crazy infusions. Give your cells the building blocks. They may need more building block A than building block B. Mm -hmm. Give them more of A and let your cells go and do the work or at least try that first, you know, and you see so many crazy overpriced, biohacker wellness things. Do they work? Sure. But all these crazy infusions, this and that and everything, it's try what's personalized first. You know, these are all supplements that exist. It's just knowing which ones work best for you.
1: Well, you're taking the guesswork out. So like I said, a lot of people on social media health are running out and buying all these supplements that may not even be optimizing anything for them. I mean, a lot of times I have people come to me and their blood work is super old and I'm like, well, your blood work is constantly changing. It's not, it's not static. It's, you know, moving with you. Old blood work, you can't really... If you had a deficiency five years ago and you're still supplementing, for, it may not even be a deficiency anymore unless I'm hearing there's a gene mutation, right?
0: No, and, that, and that's a very good point you bring up because like going back to the MTHFR, everyone thinks about undermethylating, too high of homocysteine. You need to get the blood work checked. You can actually be overmethylated. There's mutations that can actually make you methylate too much and your homocysteine's low. So like, it's way more complex. I see a lot of people, I know trimethylglycine or betine, that's what a lot of people take for digestive support. Betine HCL, if anyone listening takes digestive enzymes, check for that in there. It works very, very well. Great for gut health, great for lowering homocysteine. However, if you also have mutations that help you break down homocysteine quicker than normal, You may be going from normal and then you add that in and you're going too low, which can have equally as bad effects. So too low and too high, like you got to look out for both of them. A lot of people are just, oh, take a methyl B vitamin forever. Let me take this, this, and that. And that's why, that's why getting blood work, I would say at least twice a year when you're starting these supplements. I mean, I try some clients, you know, blood work can get expensive. I don't always require it before we start the supplements, but hard requirement five to six weeks after we're starting the supplements, we're getting the blood work done. I don't go too crazy with the panels. At the end of the day, blood work is what's in the blood, not what's in the cells. And that can also just get very, very expensive. But I add on a couple things, maybe active vitamin D, homocysteine with the basics. But you just got to be checking. You can't just be guessing and winging it as you go. And people that think that they're feeling great all the time, a the one thing I always tell people too is, you know, there's days of 10 out of 10, you just feel like you're firing all cylinders. What if that was only a seven or eight out of 10, you know? And it's like, <laughs> as time goes on, me a year ago was like, I feel so great about the top of the mountain. Now here I am now, it's like more energy, like happier more fulfilled. And it's just like, where's the real ceiling here? You know what I mean? i gonna be honest right now, I'm taking the least amount of supplements I've really taken. And I think just having, you know, Five, five to eight, maybe, you know, different products that you use are so much better than actually people on 30 different supplements, even from practitioners. Most of my clients say, I literally have three grand of supplements sitting in my closet. I tried. I have no idea what's doing what, because it's, again, this works for anxiety. Take it. But you don't know what flavor of anxiety you have.
1: And what pathway you're actually supplementing and and you can actually identify the pathway that's being supplemented. I think it's an incredible tool and an incredible service that you're providing with the knowledge that you have to kind of back it up and also do some troubleshooting because it sounds like because this is such a new area for health, there's some troubleshooting needed, you know, Uh, and having somebody who knows what they're looking at is, I think, a super important piece. Would you recommend not running out? And if you find out, your doctor found out that you have a mutation in your methylation pathway... Would you say don't run out and start just methylating yourself like with vitamins? Could that be dangerous in any way?
0: So it's hard to say like immediately dangerous. No, but it also depends on the type of genetic testing. And that's why I love what I do because I can also see those other genes like that COMT gene we mentioned that I have. I take any, when I first found out about my MTHFR, I took methyl B vitamins and I could focus better, but I just felt a little on edge all the time. And I would be cutting up like one-fifth or one-sixth of this B12 thing. And that's all I could really tolerate without like being wired at night and not being able to sleep. And the dosage I was, I wasn't even end up actually getting that much B12. And that's when I kind of realized having my COMT mutation, methylate, methyl B vitamins do not agree with me. And that's very, very common because it helps you make more adrenaline and I already break down adrenaline slower. So things like adenosyl and hydroxyl B12, my multivitamin has just adenosyl and hydroxyl B12. No methyl B12, even though I have two MTHFR mutations, but you can convert that hydroxyl into methyl B12. There's always a little bit of methyl groups floating around there. You got it. at the end of the day, I use the genes to lead me, but at the end of the day, it's always how you feel first. If all the genes are pointing to taking something, you take it and you don't feel good, we're gonna stop it. because at the end of the day, no one has all the information because we still know so little relatively about our genome. So regarding the methylation stuff, yeah, hopefully you'd be able to, with your doctor getting you tested, hopefully you're getting the homocysteine checked because MTHFR issues can raise your homocysteine, but there's also mutations that can help lower it. So that's where it's kind of like, I think I look at at least 10 different genes for methylation and kind of get a guess overall. But if your homocysteine is normal, you may not want to do high dose of methyl B vitamins because that can make it on the low end. So hopefully if a practitioner, even if it's not a full panel, if it's just MTHFR, bare minimum, they should be checking homocysteine. Because what's really the point of checking MTHFR if you're not even going to check if it's having a functional effect on your cells and your blood chemistry?
1: Great point. What So what is the COMT? gene mutation?
0: It's actually my favorite gene, as you can tell.
1: So, <laughs> <I noticed.
0: laughs> Yeah, that is the enzyme. After our brain cells release dopamine and adrenaline in between the brain cells, that's what kind of carries the message and binds these receptors to transmit energetic, productive, motivating signaling. They're broken down by the C O M P enzyme. So I have two mutations that means mine is about four times less active so i break down dopamine and adrenaline around four times slower than a normal person so that usually means more type a personality i mean you guys could just tell hearing me talk a very outgoing social that's great when i'm calm but when i'm stressed my body releases extra adrenaline i also can't break it down i still have a lower stress tolerance but through the supplementation and you know The mindfulness, the whole spiritual side, I'm a huge advocate for as well. Learning my body, I'm better at handling it now. But even some days, you know, today, I think I had a little bit too much caffeine, a lot of stuff going on. I was kind of catching myself sometimes being like, you're not being you right now, you know, kind of reeling in a little bit. But in the past, it was during the peak of the stress during graduate school and stuff, like waking up just sheer anxiety. The second I wake up, like panic in the mornings for like, for like years there. And that's because, I mean, I'm sure it was microbiome, some other things as well, but at the end of the day, I'm always going to be breaking down, that down slower. COMT also breaks down estrogen. So that means I'm also prone to having higher levels of estrogen. Estrogen dominance is a very, very hot topic now in the health and wellness sector. There's more genes, there's more pathways for estrogen than just the COMT, but COMT is a major pathway by which estrogen gets broken down. So that can lead to estrogen dominance. Things like magnesium. Magnesium actually helps speed up the COMP enzyme. If I'm magnesium deficient, a lot of people are deficient in that. I'm gonna notice that more because my enzyme that's slow is gonna go even slower. Versus someone else, theirs may not be as slow. And then another topic I'm very vocal about are taking the right supplements. There are so many supplements that block that COMP enzyme. Quercetin, rutin, green tea extract, those are three major ones that people use a lot. Quercetins use all the time for mast cell stabilizers, for MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome, or histamine intolerances. I remember I took that was years ago during my PhD. I remember distinctly, it was some conference that we had at the school. It was a bunch of speakers all day. I had such bad allergies. This is before I figured out my histamine stuff. Super bad allergies. Felt horrible. Took what, Took like the now brand from Vitamin shop, whatever. One thing of quercetin, I felt so good. I could breathe for the first hour or two. I'm like, I feel electric right now. I feel so good. That quickly descended into, I left the conference early because I was literally tweaking the fuck out because that is an extremely strong COMT inhibitor. And it has a 10 hour half-life. I was up to like 6 a.m. the next day. Just, I didn't even know what to do. I drank so much CBD, magnesium, just trying to calm down because it blocks that enzyme very, 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 very potently. So how many people that are taking these mast cell stabilizer blends that have quercetin, actually pretty much all the mast cell stabilizers that people use also block this enzyme. So I'm still, as a pharmacologist, trying to find mast cell stabilizers that don't also block that enzyme. But what I'm realizing is that same molecular structure that helps the mast cells, maybe the same molecular structure that blocks that enzyme. So you may not be able to separate the two. I'm still looking for it. And person by person basis, you know, how bad is your anxiety? Is it worth dealing with that? Because as good as it is at making me anxious, it's just as good as helping the histamine. Cause I could breathe fine the whole time. It's like I was anxious, but all my allergies were gone. But for me, that was clearly not worth it at all. And there are a lot of supplements that do that. And then piggybacking off of that are there are a lot of supplements that interact with prescription medications, how you metabolize them. Piperine, biopairine, that's in a lot of different supplement blends because it boosts the absorption. Curcumin, if you're taking curcumin, most likely has piperine. I've had clients that are on depression medications that are feeling very off. Turns out they're taking CBD. CBD directly interacts with like 80% of prescription medications. So it'll be preventing the breakdown. So let's say you're taking, I don't know, a milligram of Xanax each night your body will be reacting like you're taking 1.5 or 2 milligrams so that can be that can be very dangerous depending on what you're taking what if you're taking a blood thinning medication and then you cut yourself and fall and you're overdosing on it and you bleed out right there or antipsychotic medication or anti anxiety any of these medications and i see people on this i'm a huge supporter of cbd especially if you have the certain mutations that make you the ideal person for that but I never use that with people on certain prescription medications. And about 80% of them, medications are affected by CBD. You have supplements affecting your genetics, and then you have supplements affecting other drugs. So all these things, so many people are making themselves worse by incorrect usage of supplements, whether it's affecting their genes or affecting other prescription medications they're taking.
1: I uh, see. That's what I don't think that you should be able to just walk out and start supplementing yourself because I I see these supplements as incredibly powerful. What you're saying, case in point, yeah. you they're know? all and, drugs
0: to me. Honestly, yeah. to me, any any molecule that alters cell biology to me is considered a drug, whether it's a curcumin a Xanax, a new immunotherapy drug, all these things, magnesium, to me, I all consider them drugs and they should be treated as such. And, you know, I haven't really thought about that, but now that like it does make a lot of sense, I can send someone to the vitamin shop and give them probably four different things to take and drink an energy drink and probably make them have a heart attack if I wanted to, just by stacking certain things that block all of your adrenaline breakdown. So that not a lot of caffeine is making your adrenaline go absolutely through the roof. Conversely, you can have someone go to vitamin shop and take stuff that'll fix the root cause of their depression. You know what I mean? But that's a very good point you raise about having more guidance with that. And I got to say, I think I do agree with that. The problem is how do you accomplish that in practice? You know what I mean? Think how much, I think how much money they'd be losing out on by having to block people from doing that. How many supplements just go unconsumed and wasted? That's money in their pockets.
1: No, and all of that is true. I mean, with my community, I tell them supplements are powerful. You could probably tell them all the reasons why I can't. All I know is that unless you need it, don't just start taking stuff. You know, unless you've done blood work and you see the results of the blood work, which is why I'm a huge fan of getting my clients to do blood work when they can financially. Obviously, it's crazy expensive and that's a whole nother rant. But See what you need. Don't just go to the market and go, Oh, this doctor on Instagram said I should take these and these are great supplements. The case that you just made is that you have no idea how it's interacting with your individual genetic factors and, you know, mentioning the COMT and it sounds like magnesium helps speed up that pathway mm-hmm. or helps you. That's metabolize. been, that's been
0: shown. Yeah. That's been like literally shown peer reviewed stuff. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And,
1: and does it help metabolize? Cause I have so many women who are estrogen dominant and have all of these symptoms from being estrogen dominant. And, you know, magnesium is a pretty easy fix. You can actually get it in a lot of places in food, but also magnesium is one of those ones that you're like, oh, that's...
0: That's probably one of the top three I recommend across the board to people. I personally think, I personally think taking like a B complex, vitamin D and magnesium obviously you may be taking the wrong B12 for your genes and you just might feel anxious and then you know not to take it. But regarding like a safety standpoint, can you get magnesium toxicity? Yes. But I think a safe bet for people are those to try out and see how you feel. At the end of the day, if your vitamin D is a little higher than it should be for a couple of months, you get blood work done. That's not really going to be doing any real damage, you know, but it would be the
1: damage. Like uh, uh, if you're sitting on a high dose of vitamin D, you haven't had blood work for a while and unbeknownst to you or your doctor, you have these crazy high levels of D. What would be a consequence of that?
0: Sometimes it can be some calcium type issues because it regulates calcium, but I think you can also get some minor like heart palpitation type things. So it's good that like, it's not good, but it's like, at least it's noticeable that that makes sense.
1: So it's not silent and deadly. You would actually get some feedback from it.
0: Yeah. And there's there've been there've been a lot of studies. People take like fifty thousand IUs year round and they don't, haven't really immediately noticed that. I think you would feel like crap long before you would be having any actual acute health issues with that, if that makes sense. I do think in the middle of the winter, if you're not getting direct sunlight every day, but then I also added that factor of you may not be making enough from sunlight. You also may not be there are actually mutations where you don't activate vitamin D properly. So I've had clients that take 10,000 IUs, I put them on that, their levels barely budge. There's actually a special pre-activated prescription form of vitamin D they use for multiple sclerosis, parathyroid disease, and severe vitamin D deficiency. And I've actually had some clients start using that because the enzyme that converts the vitamin D we take in a supplement into the form that we measure in our blood, that conversion process can be severely reduced in people. And then it's problematic because people in the wellness community will say, well, your blood levels of vitamin D are low because you have an active infection. So you're using it up. That is true. However, you you're not ruling out the possibility they have six mutations in that enzyme that converts it, if that makes sense. So they're not wrong, but I need to do some education that you do need to rule out. It's not always just because you're infected. You could just be living. I have so many people, I don't know if I said this. So many people come to me with a slew of vitamin D mutations, absolutely scared shitless to take vitamin D because they've been led to believe that taking it will cause calcification. If you draw a dotted line about where your cells levels should be, the whole point here is bringing the deficit up to the normal. So people get that confused. Why would your cells get calcified? Why would you have any of these bad, horrible side effects? It's when you oversupplement beyond what your cells intrinsic level should be. But when you've spent your entire life with your cells not meeting that hundred percent, we'll call it how, how fed it is with vitamin D signaling. Let's just say your whole life doing that. And you've dealt with psoriasis or you've dealt with autoimmunity your whole life. That's one of the first places I check. And it's, I think part of it's because people that come to me clearly have tried other things. So like I see these very, severe combination of mutations very often with clients much more common than you would think but i think that's because if they come find a holistic genetic health counselor clearly they tried other stuff and why didn't other stuff work because of the genes so they're coming to this last stop here and then i'm seeing all these red you know check engine light things come on you're like when you go to the car mechanic and it's like this mutation should only be in about 25% of people but i'm seeing it in 80% of my clients And that's because a lot of them have these autoimmunity type things. And what do you know? Just one of these mutations in the vitamin D pathway are linked to autoimmune conditions. What if you have seven? Ouch. Yeah.
1: So is there a test that shows you how much is in the cell? Or is this, this, at this point, we're just tracking what's in the blood?
0: Yeah. So there's laboratory techniques that you can do in cells to figure out how much vitamin D is activating them. But that's like... R&D, you know, cell line type stuff. You know, there's really no, you can do like a blood cell, red blood cell, magnesium test. That's what a lot of people do with blood work. Now they'll do red blood cell testing rather than testing what's loose in the blood. You're testing what's in the red blood cell, which is definitely better. Different cell types in your body require different amounts of different nutrients. So just because your red blood cell gets enough magnesium, how do you know your brain cells are? different types of magnesium are absorbed to the brain much better or worse. Magnesium L3 and 8 is my favorite one, especially if you have mood, sleep, anxiety type stuff, because that's been specifically modified to get to the brain much better than any other type. Glycinate's my second favorite for brain type stuff. After that, it's a pretty steep drop-off. I think of magnesium blend, so it has other types. Not that I don't like them, but I'm talking about for specifically neural brain type stuff. L3 and 8, glycinate, and then there's a pretty steep drop off with how well they get to the brain.
1: Do you like 3 and 8 for sleep? Like if somebody struggles with anxiety when they wait, do you like that one for sleep? Absolutely,
0: cool. definitely. Most of my clients accommodate with any sort of, whether it's low mood, depression, anxiety, stress, or sleep, magnesium L3 and because I think they said like 60% of people are deficient in magnesium. That's one of those supplements that, even if there's no blood work, We'll try that out for a few months and see. Like you're not going to do taking magnesium for six weeks and then getting blood work done and seeing it's high. That's not the worst thing to have be on the high end. But again, I can also see though, I could also see you have mutations and how you absorb magnesium specifically through the gut. So even if you ate a normal diet with a lot of greens that have magnesium, you're still probably going to be deficient. So kind of like me with B12, no matter what I eat, I'm going to be deficient in B12. No matter how much sunlight I get, I want to be deficient in vitamin D. So that's why you kind of curate your life, what you take. Like I said, I'm taking the least number of supplements I've ever taken. I got a really good multivitamin that works for me. I still take the vitamin D. Like to me, that's the multivitamin, vitamin D, me personally, like she legit. Those are like foundational for me, like, I, like, like each day. And then there's also ones that I take as tools. So when I am overly stressed, I know my GABA pathway is mutated. My brain can't slow down as much. Now that I learned my body, do I need that every day? No, but that's what I try to teach clients is not just here's your supplements, take them, but know why your body's working, how it's working. So when you do have a higher stress day, you do have a tool you can use. And people will say, why can't you just auto-regulate? You know, try all this breath work and stuff. And I'm, I'm a big believer in all of that. Like the science is undeniable. However, people have an unfair advantage or unfair disadvantage based on the genetics. You can't just tell someone to get over it. Like telling someone like me, high adrenaline, very prone to overthinking, stop caring so much, just get over it. It just doesn't work. You know, like you can't think yourself out of a depression, out of a chemical imbalance. You can develop more healthy mental processes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. By doing the work and working on the traumas and the mindfulness and everything. But again, some people have that hardwired disadvantage and certain populations of people, no matter how much sunlight they get, no matter how much walks they go on, no matter what, their cells are never going to make enough serotonin. And for those people, there's certain supplements you could try. But if those people are on SSRIs, again, I'm not totally against that because even the SSRIs, They were supposed to be used for a couple of weeks at a time to stabilize. They were never meant to be used for this long of a duration. So like, to me, the perfect utilization of an SSRI is you're having a rough time at work for the past couple of months and, you know, your brother or immediate family member dies unexpectedly and you are just distraught. You're a mess. You need immediate stabilization. We don't have time for six weeks for a DNA kit. We don't have time for this or that, you know. Stabilize for six to eight weeks, whenever, and then you wean off of it. That's how they should be utilized. That's how they were designed. And now people are on them for 15, 20, 30 years, and they deplete things like folate, B12, vitamin D. Guess what causes depression? Low B12, vitamin D, folate. So they deplete nutrients that cause depression. And again, you could have other contributors aside from that. I came from the pharma side. I do think we need big pharma. They're a net benefit. We'd be dying from scraped knees. We would, with no antibiotics, we they've saved a lot more lives than they've harmed. That being said, clearly there's a lot of room for improvement, but people will be like, yeah, fuck big pharma, disband them. We don't need them. No, we do need them. The whole system needs an overhaul. I think a lot of them even agree with that. No matter what, people will still get cancer. We do still need those chemotherapy medications, but the people that are getting cancer diagnoses at 55 cancer takes decades to grow if you got a diagnosis at 55 60 you probably started getting that in your mid-30s so that's why optimizing the cell biology now you'll be happier now more energetic now less inflamed now thriving now and that'll carry over into a longer health span lifespan is how long we live i think it's what like 78 or something is the lifespan what's the health span how many years are we actually healthy and functional I don't know, what, maybe 50 in the U.S. if we're lucky?
1: Yeah. I mean, I am curious your thoughts of why. So, you know, we're an animal, right? We're here to adapt. And why do we have all these gene mutations? And again, you may not have the answer to this, but I'm fascinated by our inability to adapt. But how are we not adapting? How do we have all these gene mutations that need all of this supplementation? Because if you threw All of us out into the wild would we just be kind of screwed without all of this ability to supplement
0: yeah that's a really good point and very good topic to discuss and i think i think one main point is people act like nature had everything perfect cavemen still got multiple sclerosis cavemen were still anxious they were just focused on literally surviving you know because it's like these mutations got passed on for millennia and Mm. they do confer some benefits. I believe it was something My one buddy, we were talking about NTHFR, how it affects, I think something with certain types of sugars and certain areas of fruits that made us more able to assemble nutrients from fruits, something like that. But these mutations usually conferred an evolutionary advantage in some aspects. So like mine, higher adrenaline. Who's going to be overthinking and looking out for a saber tooth tiger? It's going to be me, you know, me all anxious, overthinking. And then the people that <laughs> aren't as prone to stress, they're going to be the ones doing other types of things. So they do confer advantages. And at the point you brought up about being, you know, Northern European, not a lot of sunlight, yet I have a lot of vitamin D mutations. Why do I feel better supplementing vitamin D? That's one of those things, you know, there may be a certain evolutionary advantage or it may just be... These mutations happen in blocks, like I mentioned. I had the vitamin D mutation that may not have been the best mutation for living in Northern Europe, but maybe other mutations that came along with that made it an overall net benefit. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause we're far, we're far from having the perfect genes. And especially now that we're, now that we're interbreeding, we're becoming a genetic melting pot. Yeah. Everyone's now in a global world, everyone's interbreeding these populations that wouldn't normally interact. And that's partially I think you can see some of these compounding mutations that maybe stem from different areas that are compounding and causing some of these issues. And then undoubtedly, the toxic load in the world is way higher. Like, just get that off the table. You know, I'm not... Yeah. That is one of the primary drivers, without a doubt. The microplastics, I think, are one of the main endocrine disruptors are the main driver of infertility, of, you know, the testosterone decline, et cetera, across the world. But again, that being said, there are mutations in how you clear out and metabolize microplastics, how sensitive you are to BPA. Does that mean if you don't have the mutation, you don't have to worry about it? Of course not. But that toxic load is absolutely at play as well. But yeah, why do we have these mutations in the first place? What benefit did they serve? That's the whole evolutionary biology side. And it's funny, when I was learning that initially, they taught you, I don't know if you saw the phylogeny, where like the sea sponge turned into this, which turned into that. That's the evolutionary biology I was fed as a cell and molecular biology major, but this type of evolutionary, bi- evolutionary genetics, I guess you would call it, seems a lot more interesting. And that's how they do these ancestry tests. They do these ancestry tests. There's not a gene that says you're German. There's certain clusters of mutations that we know originated from these interbred subpopulations in certain areas of the world.
1: That's so fascinating. Yeah, because I think about the oxalate one, which comes in a lot of these really incredible vegetables that we eat and that we need these nutrients from. So not being able to eat these plants with oxalates in it because you don't, whether it pee it out or detox it properly, like to me, that's a crazy mutation because you suddenly wipe out a ton of foods that you can't eat. Yeah,
0: I wonder, I'm honestly off off the top of my head, I'm not familiar with the prevalence in different demographics, but... I would be shocked if that had a high prevalence in population demographics that would be exposed to that a lot. You know what I mean? Cause that, that would be directly just gut irritation. You know what I mean? But now again, in the modern world, everyone has access to everything. So like even me, like I have my smoothie every morning still. And it's like, should I be having a smoothie in the winter? I don't know. But for me personally, I feel good doing it. I'm an early morning gym trainer. So I like Drink it, go, get out. That's what works best for me. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, there will always be genes that can be improved upon with supplements that you can't cover. There's always going to be, no one's going to have truly optimal health. Everyone's doing something that they maybe know they shouldn't be doing, or they could be doing something, but they're not doing it. And that's right with my consults too. I try not to talk about, you know, a 100 different genes because the more actual genes you have, the more supplement recommendations. And I really don't like having people on more than 10 things that they'll have. Some are daily, some are like tools and this and that, unless for some of these other extreme cases, you shouldn't need 30 different supplements to get it to work. But again, like I said, you'll always have, you can always keep adding more. And that's why it's like, now that I'm learning more, I'm starting to have to not talk about certain genes and replace them because A, the consult will turn into a four hour consult, which wouldn't be enjoyable by either party. But then also it would just be more and more supplements. And I know how expensive that can get. And I would never want to send someone for a quadruple digit supplement bill. You know what I mean? Up oh, here you go. Go up and get started because the whole holistic side, not being covered by insurance, it's, it's hard out of pocket. It's very yeah. difficult and it's, and it, it I hear people that come to me, I work with them, I see these things, they're like, oh my God, I dropped $45,000 last year on all these tests, and here it is right there, you know? So it's like, while I'll never say genetics will fix everyone's issues all the time, I think relative to other modalities, I do think that it's very good bang for your buck. It's guaranteed data. It's That's why I like it too. It's very black and white. These are the mutations. You know what I mean? Versus like the guesswork of fishing for different things.
1: You're not throwing shit at the wall with no data. You're yes. looking at data and going, okay, you've tried everything. You're coming to me because you're really desperate to feel better. And I'm looking at these pathways and these are the pathways that I think we should start working with to shift whatever it is you're working with. So you're you're coming at it at a very pragmatic knowledgeable point of view you've been amazing today i've taken way too much of your time where can my community find you i'll also link it as well
0: yeah so at Dr. dr.tylerpans there on instagram TikTok, dr tyler pans there on facebook and i have a website doctor no dot so just dr tyler thank you so much for having me i feel like we could easily do another four hours of this stuff appreciate it <laughs> i really hope everyone listening got some knowledge out of this and anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out. I really, truly think this is gonna be the future of health, wellness, and medicine. And how many things, as it continues to grow and have more medical minds mold it, apply it to their expertise, what can this completely fix just in of itself before we even go to any of the pharmaceuticals? I just can't wait for the future. I think genetics are gonna change the world. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: I agree with you. I think personalized nutrition and looking at genetics is the missing puzzle piece in my opinion. So thank you. I can't wait. I'll keep watching you and seeing what you're up to. And maybe we'll circle back around and dissect some of my genetics one of these days. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Tyler Pensner. I will definitely have him back on the podcast. I have so many things I want to ask him and probably have him look at my genetics because why not? I'm fascinated. I am a very curious person and I love learning. I hope wherever you are in this beautiful world that you are doing well. Till next. time.